Well, good Thursday afternoon. I'm Rick Dancer. Welcome to Get Real with Rick Dancer. It's just a kind of like a special edition. Um, I want to tell you first about our sponsors. What we have coming up is a really great interview with a guy here in Townsend who's a real life cowboy. And he's got quite a few stories to tell. He's a um, former TV radio guy, uh, also a bull fighter, uh, the clown guy. That's how he got his name, but he'll tell you all that in the story. So our sponsors tonight are JDEV Investments, Jim St. Clair and Daniel Basaraba. They renovate and rehabilitate <clears throat> commercial and residential property. So some of the places in town, like Jim's Landing, over in the Whitaker, there's another little neighborhood there um, that they, he's reestablished. Um, they come in and they make things better for the rest of us. So we really like the fact that they love what we do and they like sponsoring our show as well. So uh, again, that's JDEV, it's Jim St. Clair and Daniel Basaraba, <clears throat> one sponsor, and Dr. Michael Bratlin, uh, who is now not only doing dental work, but they also have a denturist in their office. So they're doing dental work or dentures as well as dent dental work. Um, so Michael's been a sponsor for a long time. <clears throat> um, now is a really good time to get in there because a lot of you have used up your deductible for the year. And so you may have a tooth pain or something going on. You know, you need a crown, you know, those fillings are coming out and they're loose. Um, now's the time to get them fixed. So call up and they can get you in probably by the end of the week. Uh, they're that fast. And Compton Family Wines out of Philoma, Oregon. Um, this week, uh, they're giving, they're telling us uh, to tell you, you can give a Compton Family gift card uh, that you can use in the tasting room. We can mail it to you in person with a special note to whoever that is. Um, it's a thoughtful gift that keeps on giving all year round. And if you go in anytime before the end of the year, mention Rick Dancer, you get a free flight. So they'll give you a tasting flight just for mentioning our name. And if you want to buy two bottles or more, it's $15 off for those two bottles or more. Again, that's Compton Family Winery in Philomath, Oregon. So now let's get to our, our man, our guy. Um, this guy is a, his real name is not Dancer, but now there's two dancers in Townsend, Montana. And uh, we've decided that we're going to have peace and there's going to be room for both of us. So uh, sit back. Relax and enjoy yourself. Uh, you're gonna love this. Dancer, and we're here with Dancer Davis. And you guys may have saw the little clip that we did uh, down at the, the Fishtail. That's a bar in uh, Townsend, Montana. When I discovered moving here, that there were two dancers. So rather probably than, the only two in the world. In the world, well, the yeah. only two is yeah. good looking in us, yeah. you know, and with the right <laughs> hair. But what what um, that we've decided there's a truce and there is room for two dancers in the small town of Townsend, Montana. Um, so tell people first that didn't see, how did you get the name Dancer? Uh, originally out of, well, while in high school almost, I was a rodeo clown. And the fellow that taught me how to clown bulls and keep them getting hurt taught me to stiff arm yourself and let the bull push you around. Well, after a couple of tries, it came to me that the best thing to do to put on a good show was grab some ear and some horn and pretend to be dancing while the bull was pushing you. So I picked up the name The Bull Dancer and later on it just kind of got shortened when I quit doing that and I went into radio and TV a little bit and did some other things and it just became my nickname ever since 1967. So where are you from? I originally, I was born in Stephenville, Texas, 
But at the time, my folks lived in a little burg outside of Stephenville called Morgan Mill. Okay. And uh, that's where my family kind of started out. Uh, my grandfather, great-grandfather's sons homesteaded property there and started out. Uh, and then I spent most of my life uh, on with my dad on a 20,000-acre ranch learning the cowboy and but he ran me off and put me in college because he said, I don't want you doing this the rest of your life, boy. So I had to go do a lot of other things. But, you know, we never get far from our roots. Yeah, because you, you came back to it then, didn't yeah, you? Yeah. So you did in between that. So your dad sends you to college. Um, you, grow up, you, you, you grow up as a cowboy. Yeah. And then you go to college. And then you, what did you do after, right after that? Well, uh, let's see. Vietnam was in there and eight years of service with the military. And thank you for your but, service. But uh, also, I was a TV newsman for a while just before Vietnam. I worked at a lime plant. I worked for Santa Fe Railroad. I've done anything that was honest pay that I could get away with and learn. And I never stayed with anything too long because there's so many things out there to be learned and done. Do you think that's one of the mistakes that... Um, we make as human beings is we we get a career and then you you experience one thing and pretty soon you stop living and you're a drone you repeat the same thing over and over every day you stop experimenting with life and learning and observing uh, variety is the key to everything and, and don't you think people that now we're starting to figure that out where I think the millennials especially are understanding I want quality, not just because how many people do we know? I totally believe it's not the quantity of your life, how long you live. It's how well you live while it's happening. Because think of all the people you and I know who it's like, oh, I finally make retirement. And then they drop dead. Yeah, because they go home. Uh, my dad, it even happened to him because he was a tough John Wayne type character. And uh, he said, boy, when I retire, I ain't going to do nothing but sit on the porch and fish. Well, he did that for a year. And next thing you know, he's in the hospital. And I remember I, I went to visit him. I was still in the Air Force. And I came in from California where I was stationed at the time. And uh, I was having breakfast with him one morning. And they were running tests or whatever. You didn't talk but a certain way to my dad, or he'd thump you. But after he finished his breakfast, he was complaining about something or whatever, and I went over and I leaned over on the bed and I said, you know, Dad, you know what your problem is? He said, well, the doctors will find out. And I said, no, I know what your problem is. You need to get off your lazy butt and get another job. <laughs> this retirement and then is I killing backed you. away from the bed before he hit me well you knew he was in a hospital but he, bed. yeah he laughed and sure enough he got out of there and went and got another job and was happy he loved it he went to work for john deere implement company there in stephenville texas and uh, run their farming operation and put plows together and delivered tractors and he had a good life after that and stayed at it for a long, long time. So you guys, this is the other member of the family. Yeah, this is Sweet Pea. This is Sweet Pea, and Sweet Pea will not stay on the floor because she decided she's going to lick me to death. <laughs> yeah. You want you want to lick me. I got to come here. Book you got to get over here. So in 1995, this is a book called The Great Drive of 95. 
And Dancer was on this with a bunch of other people, but was one of the few that actually finished. And so tell people what The Great Drive of 95 was all about. Well, a fellow that uh, by the name of Bud McCathlin, who is no longer alive, uh, was at a cocktail party or whatever, and he owned some registered Longhorns. And it was right after the movie uh, series, Lonesome Dove, okay. was out. And somebody said, you know, you ought to just do that. And from that, he began to put together the plans and so forth and people and support uh, sponsors uh, to reenact Lonesome Dove and to actually go from Fort Worth, Texas, all the way to Miles City. We saddled up and rode out of Fort Worth March 3rd of 1995. So how far is that? Well, point to point, it's 1,600 miles. Wow. But we had to go from camp to camp, sometimes backwards, because <laughs> find a place. Come here, sweet pea. She's about as bad as a longhorn steer. <laughs> uh, to find a place for 300 head of cattle and 110 horses and people and guests and guest riders, uh, we had to circle around a lot. So for us, it turned out to be about 3,500 miles saddle time. And you were going originally as a correspondent, kind of like to right. I kind of uh, was brought on board uh, to be a press liaison to photograph it and write articles. I had a newspaper called the Cowboy Gazette that was all over the U.S. in most states, and uh, a syndicated radio show called Letters from the Trail. So I, but after people started quitting. And the chuck wagon cook bailed out after about two weeks because he wasn't getting paid or what he thought he should be paid. And so I had to fall in and fill, fill the gaps. I'm like a good caulking gun. I know how to fill the gaps <laughs> in a need. <laughs> so how long did it take you guys? Six months. We, wow. We had a little bit of a disagreement and argument in Gillette, Wyoming over... Uh, ethics and pay and different things and we kind of some of us were I guess you could say told we could quit or leave if we didn't like the way so me and Walt Seacrest from Miles City split off with our steers and our horses and the chuck wagon and finished the rest of the trail uh, but we ended up in Miles City on September the 3rd uh, we camped for a little while before we paraded through town, but what an amazing adventure and, and really a tough finish, though. Yeah. You're on a high and having so much fun and, and so many things going on, and then all of a sudden it's over. Is, is that kind of like, you know, when you go to camp as a kid yeah or even as adult you go to a, a men's retreat or something and you have a great time for five days or six days you guys six months and then you come back and nobody can relate to you because yeah. they ha you know what i mean well uh i was a different person at the end of it yeah and so and a lot of guys suffered a lot of different things there was a lot of financial setbacks you can't take six months out of your life and leave a business and put other people in charge and this and that it changed everything. So why do it? Because it was there. You know, why climb a mountain? Why do any challenge? If it's there, sink your teeth into life and suck the juices out of it. 
because it only comes around once. Do you think that's what a lot of people are doing? Like you see all these athletes and people doing 50 mile, 50 mile runs and, yeah. and, you know, and triathlons and <clears throat> hundred mile bike rides and all that kind of stuff is just to see if you can do it. It's, it's to capture the essence of life. I think, I mean, it only has so many rewards, but if you don't attack it as a project, life itself, live, love, laugh, you see all those things, we'll do it. Do you think that, I, I was, my wife and I were um, in a store and they have all those, you know, things. You slogans. Put on, yeah, you yeah. put on your wall. And I thought, I wonder how many people put those slogans on a wall because they really won't do it. You know what I mean? Where yeah, it's, this it's is like, my excuse. <laughs> <laughs> or it's kind of like I it's told what some, I believe, but I'm not going to do it. I I told somebody one time. Do you know the difference between a a good tattoo and a good scar? And they said no. Well, a scar's got a lot better story. Yeah. <laughs> well, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so, what did you learn about yourself on that trip, on the drive in '95? Well, there were so many things that. I, well, you find out the basics of life a little bit. When you're living outdoors completely, I mean, there were, uh, for instance, uh, in the Paul Harvey story in the book, when we were leaving Fort Worth, it started raining and it was below freezing. So the pavement iced up and we had to ride across pavement to get out of town to some soil and some dirt. Well, Nobody thought about that because didn't know it was going to happen. Right. And uh, my horse slipped on the ice, rolled on me, rolled my back over a stone. I crushed my grandfather's watch with the steer, uh, the horn of the saddle, and broke a couple of ribs in the back. And now here I am doing all this athletic stuff, if you want to call it that, work, and riding in a trot all day with a bunch of broken ribs in the back. And then we slept on bedrolls that were wet and uh, had ice on them. And uh, so it, you got down to basics. You know, we are really a little bit too pampered in the world today. You think? There's all the food in the grocery stores. <laughs> you don't have to go out and gather it. You don't have to grow it. Uh, we got thermostat heat. We got cars that think for us with computers in them. We got cell phones. You can talk to anybody, anywhere, anytime. But when all that goes away and it's survival and work just for the simplest of things, you find out the value of life. So do you wonder, dancers, sometimes if, if, if we're too pampered, do we really experience life? I don't think so. I think, you know, there's a, you can't see beauty without some ugly. There's no light without dark. Uh, if you don't, have some hard times in your life, how do you appreciate the good times? And people are so, I'm not saying it's easy because it's a different kind of hard times. Right. Especially now, I think we're going into. What do you think? I, I think about that a lot. I mean, with the inflation and here in Townsend, you know, you got a lot of people just eat, making it bare, yeah, you know, you and struggling, from, really struggling. You live from deficit to worse deficit. <laughs> right. And, and so then in a town like this, people still take care of each other. That's right. That's the secret. And I learned that a little bit on the cattle drive. Uh, we got to learn to be neighbors again. We got to care about our fellow citizens and have a good attitude. You know, when you wake up in the morning, 
why not be positive? Because life is full of just as many green lights as it is all those red lights. And some people are so negative, they wake up first thing in the morning and try to think something new to bitch about. Well, why not spend that time training your brain to look at all the good things in life and the blessings you have? I've got a roof over my head. I got food to eat. I got heat. I have shoes on my feet. There's so many things that you can count and look at that makes life enjoyable instead of being a regular old sourpuss or closing yourself off and not sharing with other people. What do you say to the younger people that watch what I do and, and on this show? Um, what's, what's your advice to people? Cause I, you know what I think is really, what I love about younger people right now that, you know, they're, they're going after, I don't know if you've ever heard of Jordan Peterson, but he's a, a guy like my age and, and they, they love, he's saying, you know, you want to make your life better? Be responsible. Exactly. Clean your room. Start by cleaning your I room. Over the last 20 years or more, a lot of young people or people in general have become excuse oriented. Uh, instead of doing something, well, I don't have the money. I better not do that. I got to do this and, and pointing the fingers at everybody else. Your life is yours. You better live it and live it well. And you share it with others and have a positive attitude. That's the main thing. Uh, you just can't close yourself off and expect to experience life and be happy and enjoy it. So how did you get in Townsend, Montana? Well, kind of a long story. I tried, I lived up in the wilderness after the cattle drive. I went home and uh, lost my place uh, from financial problems. And I packed up my chuck wagon and pulled it behind an old red Cadillac. And I traveled over the country cooking and entertaining and doing poetry and stories and teaching history and doing demonstrations at schools about Dutch oven cooking and real cowboy history, not the Hollywood stuff. Uh, and then one thing led to another. Uh, my health kind of went bad. I was having some health issues because I was exposed to Agent Orange like a lot of veterans were. And uh, I couldn't live in the wilderness any for a long time. I was up in a homemade shack in the wilderness. Uh, no running water, no power. I mean, it took four hours to go to the spring, gather water, heat it on a wood stove, and take a bath. Right. So, and it... Every day getting a meal done and something to eat was work. And when my health got bad, I realized I better get down to the flatland so I could be around some medical help. So I moved into Belgrade for a while. And then I finally found a place over here I really liked and uh, a really nice lady I bought this from. And coincidentally, this house we're sitting in was built in the year I was born by a man named Al Dance. No. Yes, I've got copies of the paper, and uh, I bought it from his uh, daughter. I believe his daughter or granddaughter. And the only one family had lived here before. And uh, he died tragically uh, in a wood-gathering accident when uh, a tree fell on him. Wow. But uh, that was so... I didn't know that till after I'd bought the house and, and found all that. And I thought, boy, what a... Cosmic coincidence. <laughs> I guess all the dancers kind of end up in town yeah. in Montana. Yeah, right? it's, 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 it's not our fault. No, no, it's just 
a little another one of those positive blessings things. So when you look at next year and all the predictions are for the economy to go really sour and things to get really hard. What do you yes. think what you're talking about positive? So what are the positives of that happening? Well, no matter what's going on in the rest of the world, you still have things that you're in control of. But never get your panties in a wad over stuff you can't control. So whatever happens in the economy or with the world or politics or a government or war, it's been going on for thousands of years, and it's an up-and-down process. So control and focus on the things you can do, like being good to your neighbors, uh, volunteering a little bit. I found out if you add to the circle of life, when it comes back around, it's multiplied and comes to you twofold. The Native Americans had that philosophy, especially the Cheyenne, uh, every, at a certain time of the year, and I don't remember whether it was fall or spring, they had a process where whatever you owned or belonged, you gave it to the TP next to you and so forth. Oh. And when it come back around, everybody in the tribe had more than they started out with. Mathematics doesn't work that way, but life does. So if you're adding to other people, that's what I love about Townsend. And uh, the people here still practice the old ways and taking care of their neighbors and doing the basics and just appreciating each other. Somebody said to me, well, when we moved here, well, you know, Townsend's kind of backwards. And I thought, uh, or... Backwards might be the way to get to the future that's better. Yeah, that might really truly be forward. Yeah. Because I always yeah. find in my life that everything I think is a trail, if I look over, there's another trail. Yeah, you know, and, and there is a fork in every one of them. And you've got to decide which one you're going to take. That's where you have control over your life. So what's, what do you love about your life? I, I love my beautiful daughter. I love my friends here in town. The fact that I got tired of the traveling around the country and entertaining and teaching Dutch oven, cooking and all that stuff. Now I just get to be with my friends, share a good, have a beer in the afternoon and tell a good story or a good joke with somebody and, and just enjoy what life offers per day. I don't plan on tomorrow because don't know if I'm going to get it. I don't worry about yesterday because it's gone, done, and in the books. But today, I can do something positive, or I can add to my own life or someone else's, all of which are good options. So everybody says they can find you every day, 2.30. Yeah, I got it. You know, now I'm old enough, I've got to take my rewards as they come. And... Uh, like those guys that retired a little early and they go to the recliner with potato chips and TV. I don't do that. I work every day as much as I can. I cook for my friends. I cook for the community dinners we have down oh, there you? and help with everything. And uh, I work. I raise chickens and I'm building some stuff in the back and an old saloon and a new chicken house and just stay as active as I can. Unfortunately, like a lot of old cowboys, I've kind of started getting furniture's disease. Uh-oh. Yeah, that's where my chest falls in my drawers. <laughs> that's not a good place for your No, chest. gravity takes its toll <laughs> as you get old. <laughs> the jowls start going yeah. down. That's why we wear beards. 
yeah. Because it covers up some I, of that stuff. I, that, and I always have my hat, so if I'm really, really embarrassed, I can tip it to the ladies or cover my face so I don't scare them. <laughs> <laughs> so the most fun thing you've ever done, do you, what, would, what would come to mind? Geez, I, you know, that would really be hard. I loved rodeoing and fighting bulls and clowning and a little bit of uh, breaking horses and training horses when I was a kid. I, I had a good job with Emerson Electric for a while and was an engineer and rearranged the whole factory and increased output and won a bunch of awards. I think the cattle drive was probably the most fun. It was the most difficult and it really, really put you back to basics. Uh, and it changed everybody on the drive, no matter what their position or what they had to do. When you put men out on the trail like that, uh, new things come out. All that hard weather, not a great, not the best food in the world. Sometimes I didn't have a whole lot to cook. Sometimes they hired another guy, brought in a trailer and he would cook, but he thought cayenne pepper was the only seasoning. And that's not so good when you've got to sit in a saddle for 12, 15 miles. <laughs> But yeah, it was a great, and I'm still having fun. Every day that I wake up and take a breath, I'm having fun some way or another. Best piece of advice you ever got, and from whom? I think maybe, I got in a bad car accident when I was a TV newsman, and I was temporarily paralyzed for, on the left side for a while. And all of my so-called new city friends kind of stopped coming around for a while and wasn't too supportive. It was a while before my father found out, well, he left the ranch and he came up and being a 21-year-old kid, I'm laying there whining and, and depressed and I just want to end my life that I can't do this and I can't do that. I was being so negative and everything. And my dad told my mom, said, go get a cup of coffee. I need to talk to this boy. And he shut the door behind her and he walked over to the bed and I was in a traction with a thing under my chin and weights on my feet, they stretch your spine. And my dad pulled that thing up under the, my chin and grabbed me and slapped the tar out of me. I mean, it didn't hurt me, but he slapped me good and he said, listen here, boy, there ain't a Davis yet ever give up and no son of mine will be the first. You decide to get your butt out of this bed and start living life and working again. Don't let this stop you, because if you do, I don't want to ever see you again. And he had tears running down his eyes, walked out of my room and never came back. I changed my whole attitude on life that day at 21. So an old, I was interviewing an old guy one time, and I'm not calling you an old guy. Oh, well, I'm He's proud of it. It took a lot of hard work to get here. How old are you? I'm 74. That's not very old anymore. I'm 74 going on 24. <laughs> I always tell people I'm 63, but I'm a middle schooler. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I asked this guy one time, what do you want on your, on your epitaph, on your, on your headstone? And he told me, and I won't tell you what it is yet, but what's so funny is somebody years later asked me, and I said the same thing, but I didn't remember he said it. Then I went back one day and I'm looking at this video of this guy and, and I said realize, this and he said it and I went, that's where I got that because I loved his answer so much. So you know, speaking of tombstones, my, my grandmother gave me some good advice. And we're talking about relationships and people. When I was a wee button, 
uh, my grandmother used to read the Bible a lot, spit her snuff in a can by a wood stove, and every once in a while throw information and knowledge out to me. And she slapped me on the back of the head one time, and somebody recently had passed away, and they were throwing a big, great, grand funeral for them. And my mother said, boy, don't ever forget this. It don't do any good to put roses on a tombstone. Well, I was probably about 30 when I realized what she said. You got people that are important to you or you love or care about and your neighbors, let them know while you're alive and while they're alive because it's all the rigmarole and the fancy stuff after they're gone means nothing. Yeah. I always think it's kind of funny. Well, <clears throat> first I'll tell you the epitaph. So it says, just put, I told my wife, just put a headstone, says Rick Dancer, when I was born, when I died, <clears throat> and then just bright, he tried. I think that's actually <laughs> You know, yeah. it's just like, I don't know how I did, and every person's going to judge it, but quite honestly, I don't give a shit, because I'm dead. Yeah. And I always think that's, that's funny when people go, well, Uncle Bill wouldn't have wanted that. Uncle Bill is it, dead. He doesn't <laughs> know and doesn't care. He doesn't a, care. A good Irish wake with a lot of laughing and dancing and drinking and partying and telling stories about who's gone is for the people doing it. It ain't for old Clyde. He's over the great divide. <laughs> and we get so caught up in that as people is, yep. you know what I mean? And, and I think we're so afraid of death that we forget to live. I think that's a really important thought. Uh, people, like I said, people shouldn't get their panties in a wad over stuff they can't control. When your number's up, I learned this during the war because I've had people as close to me as you lose their head and I'm still breathing. So when your number's up, you're gone. Right. What you do with that time in between till that number comes up is the only thing that you can make a gain from. So you might as well just, like I said, stick your teeth in it and suck the juice out of it while you got it. I'm going to bring up something that will be a little controversial. But that's what bothered me so much with the reaction to COVID. Yes. It was that people were so willing to, over fear of dying, that they'd stop living. And it was like everybody just shut down. Not everybody, but a bunch of people just shut down. Oh, and they're yeah. still shut down. It's like you just wasted that time. In, in this self-righteous, I save people's lives when now more people are dying. It, it, well, it's you just know, ridiculous. What brought that about is over the past couple of generations, people have stopped being free thinkers and thinking. Yeah. They, we have so much media and books and this and that and schools. And and, internet. And, yeah, everything. But people don't sit and meditate and think like they should. So that makes them susceptible to be manipulated right. or to believe anything they hear or see. I never put a mask on till I was absolutely required to get in a store to get the food I needed to get out. And I, see pe I saw people driving around with a mask on, which I used to teach infection control when I worked for a medical lending company. So I knew it was ineffective. So... From a, from a virus, maybe bacterial, but from a virus, it was a joke. Uh, but I see people driving around in their car with a mask on, alone. Yeah. And, and the scary thing about that to me also is that 
it, it shows how easily we allow people to manipulate us exactly. as human beings. And you need to be a free spirit. Do your own thinking. Do your own living. And don't let others manipulate your life too much. And Eugene, and, and don't be scared of everything. No, God, why be here's, scared of here's, everything? Here's the thing that can do that for us. See, I had cancer. Um, I have too. Couple so, of times. so, so part of it, people go, well, then you should be more concerned. No, because you know what? I already know what it's like to face death. Even though it was yeah. it's a simple cancer and it was easily fixed, it's still that thing going. I could. This could kill me. Yeah. And this could come back it's and kill me. It's pretty frightening when you get that diagnosis. Yeah. And so now, all of a sudden, the rest of the world, when people said, you know, to me, when people said COVID or here's this mysterious thing that, you know, and it's like, it didn't scare me it because it was like, a, I've already done something harder than that. It was really that. a badass case of the flu. I got it before it was even in the news. A friend of mine who was a nurse said, well, just keep your lungs clear. Quarantine yourself. I stayed in this house for three weeks, people left food out by the entry. If I needed something, I made a call. I did not leave the house. I, If I got too much congestion, I took an expectorant, not an antihistamine, and kept my lungs clear, and I kept releasing it and getting it out. Got through it. Now I got the antibodies. And I've had a lot of illness from time to time, and cancer, and a heart attack. And... Uh, it's a blessing. Everything has value when you come out on the other side, just like bad weather, hard times. I told somebody this morning, it's hard to get young people to get a job nowadays. <laughs> which, Nobody which wants is, to work. Right. It's because we taught them that you, you're entitled and you don't have to work and yeah. you should be at Burger King making $40 an hour. I remember feeding cattle to my dad one time, and I was only about 10 or 11, and he, 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 he would always bump me on the shoulder and then tell me some wisdom. And it'd take a while for it to soak in. But uh, he did that one day and he said, boy, you ain't nothing but a hand and a bucket of water. I'm being a young boy, I, what the heck does that mean, dad? He said, we're all just a hand and a bucket of water. When you're dead and gone or your hands out of that bucket, there's still a bucket of water for the rest of the world. Right. Yeah, and we forget that. Yeah. So do you think it's we've become too complex and not simple and that we don't live we, we don't live a simple enough life? Exactly. I think basics are really really important to the quality of your life. So list list yours for my, me. Like if you were to go number 1, number 2, number 3 and you're not stuck to this cuz right. who the hell matters. But um yeah, what would your number 1, number 2 and number 3 be? Food, shelter, neighbors. It's like Dad said one time, boy, would you like to have a million dollars or a million friends? I said, well, I'd take the million dollars. He said, well, you're a fool. If you had a million friends, every one of them would give you two dollars. <laughs> I really like that. That's, and you know what? Just knowing what I know of you, which isn't a lot, but just what people say, I think your order might be different. I think your order would be friends food it's pretty up there and you because know you, if you've you, got the friends on top the rest of the crap takes right, care of itself if you if you got friends and you got neighbors that you're associating with they'll get you the food that's right they're going to take so, care of you because you took care of them earlier right i think that's where the country went astray with the government uh when i was a young man 
and I was in big ranch country. The a, a good sized town was five hundred. If if you counted the dogs to roll roll <laughs> up the number, the churches took care of everybody. If there was now we're talking pre sixties, before Social Security and all the welfare programs that Kennedy's brought in and this and that, which is fine. They're good programs. I I think it's well done, but. Used to, communities took care of the citizens. Mm -hmm. People took care of people. Uh, if something bad happened to, like, say, a, a woman that had two kids, her husband rolled a tractor on himself and killed himself at 28 or 30 years old, the community fed her and those kids as long as they needed it right. or provided for them one way or another. But when that way, if I do something for my neighbor or help them, Let's say $100 worth. That $100 has value. We got lazy. We didn't want to do it. We'll let the government do it. So the government takes the $100, keeps their share, and passes back 10 It's a losing proposition. Well, and then people wonder why when you take that, you don't get the personal <clears throat> satisfaction. Right. And, and I'm a God-fearing guy. I think yeah. when, you, when you give to your neighbor... Yeah. There's a blessing that comes back. And you don't do it for that reason. Right. But it's this natural thing. So when, when you give to the government, they give to your neighbor, you have no connection to that money. That's right. Or that and, relationship. And, and so you, you give lose that, it. Giving that money to the IRS, all you get is a free colostomy. <laughs> and now we've got 87,000 more people yeah. with their head up my ass. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, Dancer, gosh, this has been really fun. Well, maybe we can do it again sometime. No, I'd love Who to knows? have you on again. People yeah. really liked when I had you on the last time. They just said, you ought to do more with that guy. You know, yeah. and I think, I think the cool thing is that I think there's a lot of younger people looking for people like you. You know, and I, I had a CD up for a while, and there's a couple of songs. I don't really sing. I pitched in and helped write some songs that are on it, and my friends sing them, and I did some poetry. But when I was a young man, we had White Hat Heroes. Uh, I actually, first time I ever got to watch TV, I saw Roy Rogers and they actually taught ethics. I even watched it on my internet free TV the other night, an old episode. And they were talking about these guys trying to steal these tre this treasure and what the treasure was is what Roy had said about what was in the Bible. And they were willing to commit a crime and beat them up and do all kinds of things to Find that treasure. Uh, but things back then, the good guys won. Uh, the bad guys lost. Uh, we taught morals and ethics. There were other shows like Harriet, uh, Ozzie and Harriet, and Father Knows Best, and My Three Sons, and Leave It to Beaver. And, uh, and it was about family values, and it taught ethics. And we had good heroes. Now, I've watched it since Vietnam, and a lot of our young people have super athletes make millions of dollars or maybe uh, doing a little drugs on the side they shouldn't and or evil or outlaws or whatever. We don't have the right kind of heroes sometimes, right. and it's not good for our kids. So you're a poet. Do you have one memorized? Well, I do most of my poetry right off the top of my head. Well, Sometimes you, can, can it we... flies high and pretty. Other times it hits the ground <laughs> about half dead. It'll fester and it'll boil right there behind my lip. 
When I feel like a poem's ready, I just shoot it from the hips. Now, folks down home say I can do that because I was born full of humor and wit. But after you know me for a while, you'll know what I'm full of just rhymes with it. That's a good place to end. <laughs> I think I know why we're both dancers. Yeah. Because I'm full of that same stuff, and oh, anybody who knows me will tell you that. That's right, and if you deny it, you're wasting your goodness. <laughs> then you're just a big shit. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Dancer, thanks for being with me. You bet, Rick. All Glad right. to have you around. Oh, man, nice to talk to you. All right, so again, we want to thank our sponsors, Chris Stantel Family Dentistry and Denture Center, uh, where everyone is welcome. And now is the time to make your appointment, especially if you reach your deductible. Also, JDEV Investments, uh, that's Jim St. Clair and Daniel Basarama. Uh, they're in the business of making things better. And one of the things they do to help make things better is sponsor us to help our cause so we can get your voice out there and get people like Dancer on there talking about life. You don't have to agree with them, but you do have to listen to them. <laughs> All right. Um, thanks for being here with us tonight. We'll be back on Monday with more. Have a great weekend and be careful. Good night.